it, me playing God, does not work. So next I'm going to decide that hereafter in this drama life, God's going to be my director. He's the principal. I am his agent. Let me give you the definition of agent. A person empowered to act for another. Spearheads, an agent of and for God. See, how do I know what you need? I do this work. I become like a hollow bone. I sit in my room. I pray and meditate to come down here to be an agent for God, to speak to you about what it is God knows you need that I don't have a clue of. And I claim that. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you are all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12-step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride, take what you want, and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. From Studio AA, deep in the heart of Texas, that was the voice of Mr. Mark Houston on this here episode number 263 of Sober Speak that you heard at the beginning of this episode. And you're going to hear so much more from Mark Houston in just a moment. But first things first... This episode is being brought to you by Andrew and Laura and Tanya and Brad. Andrew and Laura and Tanya and Brad went to our website, www.soberspeak.com. They clicked on the little yellow donate tab and they made a, a contribution. So thank, you, so thank you so much, Andrew and Laura and Tanya and Brad. This here episode is coming right out to Ewans. All right, so I want to put a little announcement here on the beginning of the episode here today with Mark Houston, and that is that we are going to have another big shindig. Yes, we're going to have another Sober Speak Live event. That means we're going to bring, we're going to have a Gary K coming in, the one and only Mr. Gary K on December 2nd. From 6.30 to, I don't know, 7.45, 8 p.m. And that's going to be at Grace Avenue United Methodist Church, which is at 3521 Main Street in Frisco, Texas. And don't worry about writing all that down. You can just go to our website uh, and look that up. Or if you're on the email list, I'm sure I'll send out an email soon. But um, uh, by the way, if you're not on the email list and you'd like to be, just write me at john, J-O-H-N, at soberspeak.com. And we will get you on that list. Or you could just go to our website and there's a place to sign up for the uh, email list. But nonetheless, um, 
So here is another part of the deal. I would like to use your questions for Gary K. Um, if you want to send those in to me, once again, a John, J-O-H-N, a soberspeak.com. I can't guarantee your questions will be used. We only have a little bit of time with them. But if you have something you'd like me to ask Gary, just send them on in and uh, we'll mention you by name during the during the the taping of the it was so here's the deal i'll also make an episode out of it and right now i'm planning on having a zoom link as well so uh, those of you who are not able to come to the north texas area which i completely understand you'll be able to um see us uh, me and gary k through the uh, th- through the magic of Zoom, and we'll look forward to having you there. What else do I need to tell you? I think that's about it. I think we're going to have some live music. And just so you know, kind of sort of what's going on here, right? This is a kind of a, I call it a combo platter. <laughs> that's my term for it. Nobody else calls it that, but we're going to have Sober Speak Live and Gary K on the front end of the evening. And then on the back half of the evening, the Frisco group, which I attend. I'm sure a lot of you hear me or have heard me talk about it throughout the years. Uh, the Frisco group is going to have their Christmas party, their holiday party, whatever you want to call it. Anyway, and it's going to be that same evening and it's going to be in the same room with Gary Cave. So I have had a lot of you in the past say, hey, I want to get up to Frisco and visit those people sometime, you know, maybe meet you, whatever the case may be. So if you're interested in it, December 2nd would be a good time to do that uh, if you are free. And that is a Friday night, by the way. And uh, so anyway, we're looking real forward to it. Now, I ran across a little something something here this week uh, via the intranet. And actually, you know what it was? It was from, it wasn't the internet. Well, it was an email. So I guess the email goes over the internet. But anyway, Bill C. uh, sends out a daily email. And on his daily email, this was included this week and it caught my attention. Now, this is something that is going to be very familiar to a lot of you, but it just, for whatever reason, caught my attention this week, caught my attention this week. It's page 86, 86 of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And it says, when we retire at night, we constructively review our day. Were we resentful, selfish, dishonest, or afraid? Do we owe an apology? Have we kept something to ourselves which should be discussed with another person at once? Were we kind and loving to all? That one always gets me. What could we have done better? Were we thinking of ourselves most of the time? Page 86 from Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm going to read through that again. Somebody may need to hear today. There may be some sort of action that you need to take after hearing this. And it says, when we retire at night, we constructively review our day. Constructively review our day. It says, were we resentful, selfish, dishonest, or afraid? Do we owe an apology? Have we kept something to ourselves which should be discussed with another person at once. 
Were we kind and loving toward all? What could we have done better? Were we thinking of ourselves most of the time? Those are some convicting questions I can tell you in my life. All right, everybody, now on to Mr. Mark H., Mark Houston. And the reason I say his last name is because that Mark Houston is in the big meeting in the sky now. And a lot of the guests that we've had on the program, and primarily, there's been a lot of them that have referenced him, but the ones that I think of right off the top of my head have been Marty C. and Charlie P., Uh, those two gentlemen have so many great things to say about Mark H. In fact, when I was interviewing Charlie P. once, he said, if you haven't, uh, and he was talking to people in general in the audience, he said, you know, if you haven't heard Mark H., go find all his tapes and take all the notes you can on that, stop it, rewind it, and just kind of pay attention to what he has, what he has to say. And so, Anyway, I, I've heard about Mark. Oh, and I know my friend uh, Jim, who's probably listening. Uh, Jim S. also really enjoys Mark H. So I wanted to go ahead and play a tape for Mark H. Uh, and, and I've had many of you out there in the past who have asked me to play one of Mark's tapes as well. So I wanted to go ahead and get this out there. So everybody, here is Mark Houston. Uh, enjoy Mark Houston, and we will have plenty Oh, listener feedback at the end of Mark's um, talk. Take care. Got this two-handed drinking problem. I don't know where I got that. <laughs> My name is Mark Houston. I'm a recovered alcoholic. Hey, Phil, they forgot to tell you, in order for you to get that book, you got to come up here and talk for 10 minutes. (laughs) Just just kidding, buddy, just kidding. Wow, it's great to to be here. One one other little segment of that story. Uh, When I got some, what I thought was intuitive direction about coming here to speak with you, it was the summertime in... Monday, some of you know my pal Chris R., Chris Raymer, and I, I was going up to speak at his group, and it's 81 degrees, and I got a new iPhone, and I put in Portland, Maine, and it was two above zero. <laughs> and I realized the error of my decision-making. <laughs> but then, of course, you see what God did. He brought along a beautiful day today, and, you know, all the rest, so. Uh, I don't know if some of you know uh, Matthew S., Matthew Sizig from Denver. He uh, uh, was uh, very involved in Fellowship of the Spirits uh, around. He sent me a text message about 15 minutes ago and said, tell the folks up there I said hello and pull the governor off of it, <laughs> right? <laughs> so uh, Don Pritz, who, uh, you know, I'm really connected to a lot of you in, in so many ways and of course, I sobered up in Denver, and uh, Don Pritz uh, was one of several sponsors I had, and and I would say uh, certainly had a, a huge influence uh, on me. And I went to the very first uh, Fellowship of the Spirit that they had in Colorado. I think there were might have been a hundred people there at the at the most. And uh, now I think there's eight or nine of them, you know, all over the country. You know, you if you're new sitting in here, whether you got a little bit of time or a lot of time, you know. 
we're agents of God, spearheads. So God, see, God takes a guy like him and impacts thousands. So you don't know how you're going to get used. Uh, you got to let go of that thing, you know. Uh, I used to warn guys. They they brag about Don P was sponsoring. Them. I said, "Oh, I feel far, sorry for you." And they go, "Why?" And I said, "Oh, because you're going to get sent somewhere." <laughs> see, you know. Good to see Ralph there. My, you know, Joe Joe Hawk. God bless him. Uh, uh, you know, he passed away and and uh, sent to L.A. He and I were living together in Denver and goes to L.A. and and. Uh, whole bunch of people ask him to, you know, sponsor him, and you can't do that, and he starts a workshop, and just, it multiplies, you know, like, like rabbits, and it's an amazing thing. Uh, if you, if you haven't gone to other, uh, Fellowship of the Spirit conferences, then you, you don't know what it's like, but I, but I gotta tell you, cause I, I've gone to a lot of others, they're hands down my favorite place to go. Uh, and the reason is, is because of the agreement and the work we make before we ever come here, which is that there's a set of precise, specific, clear-cut instructions that if we will take those, we will have a revolutionary spiritual experience, begin to work with the disciplines of 10, 11, and 12, and have an amazing life in all aspects. And we get to bring that together. So these types of gatherings, to me, have always felt very calm. You know, you go to some of them, there's that frenetic energy. It's so intense sometimes, I just have to find a space and, like, hide out. So they don't, you get sucked into the vortex, you know, and you, and when you leave one like this, you know, your head doesn't spin for a week, you know, like in some of them. But see, so you go to conferences and conventions where, where you have people that have a lot of experience to a step one, two, three, twelve. <laughs> you leave, feel a little toxic for a period of time, you know, it's just, just the way that goes. But, um, I was, I was thinking, uh, Jack last night. Where's Jack at? Raise your hand. Jack who? Yeah. Uh, I was thinking, Jack, I, I, I loved it when you said, you know, you tough guy and you go up the nursing home, beat someone. I, I, I'm, I'm going to go up there with you, you know. You... <laughs> See, I like what Ralph said about messy. You know, I don't, there's no arrival place. You know, I'm in my 27th year. For many, many, many years, I resubmit to the first nine steps. See, and, and, uh, um, you know, I've got a spirit house in this body, but I still got this, this human experience going on. And so what does that mean? It means on any given day, if I fall asleep, I still got this, this human experience going on. And so what does that mean? It means on any given day, if I fall asleep, I fall short, I fall short. See, I fall short. And if I fall short, I normally get afraid, and if I get afraid, you're going to get a reaction out of me, and it won't be spiritual in nature. <laughs> but I have a tool to clean that up, you know. Um, so, you know, I, I tell you, um, I always laugh when someone talks about bringing themselves to AA. You know, like you, we sat down January 1st, and we looked at our day planner and said, I think what I'll do on... February 9th, I'll, I'll go to AA or however we get here. You See, outside of my birth, probably the most single miraculous event of my life happened the morning of October 19th of 1982 in Aurora, Colorado, in which the power of God, because that's what I'm going to talk with you about, not God, 
the power behind the name, see, separate me from alcohol. And that power has kept me separated from alcohol from then till now. And guess what? The most miraculous event of my life I'm sound asleep to. Maybe about six months later, this little thought comes into my mind because I was a daily drinker, drank a lot. Somewhere around six months, the thought creeps through my mind of, wait a minute. You drank for 20 years. The only time that you ever did not drink on a daily basis was when you absolutely couldn't because you were either confined, locked up, or whatever. And you've gone six months. There's a slim chance you're not doing this. <laughs> see, you, see, how do you help somebody that asleep? You understand what I just said? This, we, 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 there's so many things we lay claim to. You know, there's a, there's a story that describes me and every alky I've ever worked with about how asleep I am. And, and, and the story goes like this. Uh, there was a guy, he loved to uh, hunt ducks and, and, uh, he had a neighbor who was a drunk like me. And, and one day he, he went out, uh, he went out hunting and, uh, he shot a couple ducks and then lo and behold, this dog shows up. And to his amazement, this dog walked across the water to retrieve these birds he shot. He was just flabbergasted. He never seen anything like it. Dog walking across the water. So he goes back the next day and the Alki's getting drunk and he says, are you, you going to go hunting tomorrow? He said, yeah, I am. And the Alki said, oh, I'd like to go with you. So the old Alki did what we do. He just kept drinking all night. And so they, they get up early and they go back out to the duck blind. They got this dog there and they start shooting ducks. This dog's walking across the water and retrieving the ducks six times. And, of course, this normie's waiting for this alky to say something about the fact this dog is walking across the water. He doesn't. So finally, the guy turns to him after he'd retrieved another duck. He brought it down and lays it right in front. He walked across the water. And he says to the alky, he said, do you see anything strange about that dog? And the alky kind of looks down and he looks back and he goes, as a matter of fact, I did. The poor thing can't swim. See, if you got a mind that's looking at the world like that, you're a deep shit. <laughs> and, and I'm going to refer to that a lot because long time sober, sometimes that da a poor dog can't swim. See, that's the kind of mind I had. And this grace and this power showed up, you know, in, in my life. Um, you know, I drank, drank for 20 years. I took my first drink when I was 16, and I drank till I was 36, and, and, and I got separated from it. And, and unbeknownst to me, you know, the big book so massively lays out how we find out our truth. And I'm going to talk with you about that. As a matter of fact, I, uh, I'm recently in the process of reworking through the steps, and I've gotten the inventory, and I, I just always pray about, you know, what would God have me me do and share with you and I got a some inventory. I want to show you how I write inventory. I want to show you how I got to where I am, the state of conscious now of writing. What did I what did I do? How did I look at this first step? But the the idea that I take a drink and then I think I take the next one and the next one and the next one kept me drinking for a long time. It never occurred to me that I take a drink and then at some point the drink takes the drink. You get that? See, book uses the, the verbiage, you have a phenomenon of craving. I've always laughed about that. 33 pages of the big book were devoted me to, devoted 
to help me look at one question. Mark, when you take a drink, do you lose power choice control over how much? Now, that doesn't seem like it would take 33 pages to do that. <laughs> but it does if you're an alky who doesn't want to be an alky. See? I remember, I, I, you know, the big books got drunk questions all the way through, and I'd try them out in my mother. <laughs> and, you know, I, I'd say to her, you, you know, because, uh, you know, bless her, she's passed away now, and she drank for 60 years, but she's not one of us. And I'd say to her, Mom, I got a question, you know, you're going through and you're having this profound experience and you, you've seen that once you take a drink, it takes you and the book's told you why and you see your experience, you see it's true. And so I'd say, well, let me ask you a question, you know, because I, I saw her get drunk sometimes. And I say, uh, when, when you take a drink, do you lose power choice control over how many you drink? And she looks at me and she goes, why would I do that? <laughs> see, a normal person, you know, but that, that's why there's 33 pages. See, people who aren't alcoholic don't understand something. I was telling a new guy I was talking to today, when you asked me to quit drinking, you asked me to give you my life. When you asked me to quit drinking, you asked me to give to you the only thing that gave me any ease and comfort because I got no conscious contact with God. You ain't asking me to give up vodka. You're asking me to give up my life. You're asking me to give you my arm, my leg. You see, that's why one alcoholic working with another alcoholic, we get that. See, we know that we're asking for so much more. You know? I'm going to talk a little bit with you about the effect produced by alcohol. I look at that. I've had to look at that a lot. Why? Because I think not looking at it leads people to taking a drink again. Yeah, you know, I had to understand what the big book meant when it said the alcohol was Mark's master. And look up the word. What does it mean to be a slave to something? See, that was my relationship with alcohol. That's the power and the pull that alcohol had on me. And the reason was the effect produced. It gave me some sense of ease and comfort in a world that is too big and frightens me. And there's only two ways I operate in this world. A lot of conscious contact. And I stress the word conscious contact. Not belief in God. A lot of conscious contact with God or my experience is I'm going to have a lot of vodka. And it's the only two things that have ever given me ease and comfort see see how do you stand in front of a large group like this without a lot of vodka well you better have a lot of god see <laughs> he said what asked me you know about speaking and you know well do you like speaking and i said who who would like standing in front of the most selfish self-centered judgmental <laughs> group of people on the planet i said you act like there's a say in this you know, you know i said no, I, I, I don't, you know, it's, AA's not the Qantas club, you know, it's, uh, it's full of judgmental, selfish, self-centered, comparable, you know, it's, it, it rolls like, you better have God when you're going up to do that, see, and then, you know, then they tape it and then it goes over the internet and it's, you know, things have changed a little over the years, right, you know, but, but back to this first step, you know, from my first drink when I was 16, Right up to my last one. I take the drink and then the drink takes the drink. And I never got that. I never understood that. Because early on that drinking, I can drink all kinds of alcohol. Drive the car. And, you know, you ought to know there's something wrong when you're 16 and you got three pals with you and you buy a case of beer and, and I'm driving the car. And, and by the time the night's over, those three are puking. I've probably drank almost uh, half of a case and I'm still driving and they're all sick. Now, I'm bragging the next day, I should, in hindsight, I should have knew that that was a problem. 
See, my body was having an abnormal reaction to alcohol. And I didn't take it as an abnormal reaction, but I, from the very first drink, you know, the effect produced, see? That effect produced. And then the, the tragedy of the illness that I have called alcoholism around this phenomenon of craving is, I don't know, you know, we, we all have a point. For me, it was probably about four drinks, big ones. And it took me my place, you know. Not much different than the place I go in meditation. You know the place. You're just okay. And you can breathe. You can relax. You know, and it's not a question anymore of you're not good enough and you're not this or that. You're just here and you're present. Oh, God, it's nice. And then that drink says, I need another. And then you drink the fifth and then you're on to the 20th. And you zoom way past the very reason you took it to begin with. And you can, there's nothing you can do about that. But you don't even know that's going on. Asleep, dreaming, you're awake, thinking you're having fun, you know. So, but that went on, you know. And then, then the other pieces, as I got older, born and raised in the Midwest, and finishing up college, get drafted, get sent to Vietnam, and begin to mix a lot of outside issues along with, with the alcohol. But the outside issues were all about the capacity to drink more alcohol. Uh, you know, I to this day probably love alcohol more than most people drinking it. You know, I, I mean that. <laughs> it's absolutely the truth. I don't deceive myself about my relationship with alcohol. This is a room full of people who are just like me. Uh, the day before you came into these rooms, you had a throne in wherever you lived. Now, it may have been your car or it may have been a home, but you had an altar. And on that altar was your drug of no choice, alcohol. Like mine, if I'd done it, if I had to do it over again, I'd, I'd had great bottles and I just got down every morning and said, Oh, King Alcohol, let thy will be done in my life today. You see, because it was and because I served it, right? See, that's the relationship with alcohol and you come in and then I think there's something I'm going to do to get myself sober, right? See, that power behind the name got me sober. Then if you believe the big book, and I do because my experience with the big book says that what it told me was my truth, then now I'm given a responsibility once I get awake enough to realize there is a God, I experienced that God, it's in my life, and now my responsibility is to do the things necessary to get to the place the big book talks about called fit spiritual condition. The only reason I'm standing here with you tonight, the only reason I didn't drink today, is fit spiritual condition. And I'm responsible for that, not God. You know? I mean, if, if this whole thing was about God, the big book would be one page long. It'd say, God gets and keeps you sober. Have a good day. <laughs> it doesn't. There's a lot of work in there that I actually I have to take, right? See? And then the, we, we actually get the easy part. The easy part is we take this action and it, that power, God, does all the rest. Our part's easy, like putting together swing set instructions, right? A, B, C, D, E, get in the swing and swing. You have that awareness of that. My lack of understanding about the obsession that this disease has almost killed me. Meaning, pages 23 to 43 of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous does a masterful job of talking to me about being stole cold sober and then 
my mind convincing me to take a drink again, to commit the most insane act of my life, sober. To answer a question, am I involved in that? See, and the, the horrific part of that is sometimes I am and most of the time I'm not. I work a lot with men that have a lot of relapse history. I love to ask them a question. Were you involved in your last relapse? What do you mean? <laughs> Did you choose to drink? Now I'll go, oh, yeah. I said, well, you, you don't need to do any work with me. And they go, what do you mean? I said, because if I could choose when I'm going to drink or not drink, I don't need to be in AA. They go, oh, my God. See, because a very <laughs> a very fundamental thing has been completely missed. Big Book talks about it. It says the extent to which Mark can recover on a non-spiritual basis depends upon the extent to which Mark lost the power to choose whether Mark will drink or not drink. And I have an experience that abundantly confirms that when I would wake up in the morning, I had no say in whether I drink or didn't drink, which is why I am 100% hopeless apart from divine help. But since the dog can't swim, I don't know that. See? See, I do things like take a drink and I'm living with a woman and I'm going to go up the bar and I'm going to get a drink and I'm supposed to go get milk and I'm in Denver, Colorado and I take a drink and six days later I come out of a blackout in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, which is 800 miles away. And I have no recall of how I get there. And she was not happy when I got back. <laughs> See, and I had about five, six days between a drink when I thought that I needed another one. See, and I think I'm involved in that process, in that decision-making. you understand what I mean? Why would I go get any help if I think I'm having something to do with that, right? One day I put together a combination of a lot of vodka and some outside issues, and I'm at a bar in Evergreen, Colorado called Little Bear. And uh, I did a lot of blackout drinking my last three, four, five years. Didn't know that till I've been sober for a while. And... When I wake up, I hear a tapping. I borrowed my parents' SUV. The part I was at, there's a lot of mountains and cliffs and that kind of stuff, and I hear this knocking. So I'm like passed out laying in the front seat, and this voice says, do not move quickly. So I go, okay. So I very carefully sit up, and I... I realize I can't see anything over the front. Then I turn around and there's a cop standing about right back there. And he said, the reason I'm telling you not to move is your car is resting on a very large telephone pole. And what is in front of you is a 90 foot drop off. So I really need you to stay still because we're going to get a crane to hook the front of your car and... Now, one would think that may have had some influence on stopping drinking. <laughs> that was a great reason to go get a drink. <laughs> See, the hard drinker's reason to quit is my reason to start. One last story, and that's enough I need to tell you about my drinking. I uh, was uh, on about a five-day run, Colorado, living with a guy or a gal, I mean. And uh, 
Thank God she was a, a paramedic because I, uh, uh, I had respiratory failure. My heart stopped. And, uh, she, uh, basically saved my life. As a matter of fact, I, I saw that first time that movie Pulp Fiction came out and that one scene in there where they jammed that needle. I about went to hyperventilate and the reason was that's basically what she did with me to save my life. And, uh, they take me in a flight for life ride and, I was in intensive care. I had acute alcoholic poisoning, respiratory failure. And so I'm about five days into ICU. And, 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 the, and those of you who drink like I drink knew that I was probably getting real thirsty. And, uh, um, called a buddy and he came up to ICU and he brought me some clothes and I unhooked all that stuff and, and I left and I was in a bar drinking vodka that night. You see, that's the kind of drinker I am. There was nothing that was going to get between Mark Houston and a drink alcohol. There was no woman. There was no child. There was no job. You see, alcohol was my master, and it was for a lot of reasons. Most of all, in hindsight, was the effect that it produced in me. It produced a sense of ease and comfort in a world that's too big that scares me. You know? I really woke up to this. I was around 15, 16 years sober. I was living in Kerrville, Texas. And I was going to the grocery store. And some of you that have been sober for a while might relate to this. I don't think we talk about it enough in the room. But fear. Life scared me. Life scares me. See? And I pull up and I'm going to go in this grocery store. And there's this impending doom fear running through me. And I said to myself, what is this? You know, I'm afraid to walk into a grocery store. I'm... 15 years and sober and love God. And then the voice says, it really doesn't matter. It might help if you'd pray right now. So I did. And I got hooked up, conscious contact again. And I went in the store and I was fine. I came back out and I realized, Mark, these disciplines, staying hooked up, this conscious contact, you absolutely must do that. For whatever reason, you are ill-equipped to live in this world, drunk or sober. There's a lot of reasons why I'm such a uh, huge advocate of the strict disciplines of the 10th and 11th step. The biggest reason is I like the effect produced by doing it. Because I have experience with not doing that. So this power shows up in my life. I'm in Denver, Colorado. Tripping along a little bit. I had a couple men sponsor me and then I uh, hooked up with Don Pritz because my good friend Joe, Joe and I sobered up. He was, got sober a couple months ahead of me and I noticed he was getting a lot better. And I really wasn't doing much work with these two men. Uh, they did not work out of the book like we know how to work out of the book. And uh, I was paying the price for that. That's why I think we have a tremendous responsibility, you know, the young men that picked up the book. I only know one way. Because if he's an alky of my type, he suffers from a disease that is deadly in nature and kills and kills every time. And I have a tremendous responsibility to him to sit down with him with that big book and talk about this. And talk about a process we're going to have to go through and lay out what it means to be willing to go to any lengths. You know, I still remember when I approached Don, I was probably around three years sober, and I asked him about taking me through the work. Because in Denver, you use the word sponsor, it's a little dicey. They're real purist up there, and it's not in the first 164, right? you got to be careful who you use that word with. 
but uh, get a little carried away sometimes up there. But uh, he said to me, what do you think well-negotiated length looks like? You know, we do that a lot with new people, right? We say to them, are you well-negotiated length? And they go, oh, yeah. There's a real important question they, they fail to ask. What does that look like? See? What does that look like? So I always sit down with anyone, just like it was done with me, and I talk about what that looks like. And I go to page 58, and I go through those steps, and I talk about the body of work that we're going to have to do and the course of action we're going to take. I talk about, you know, these decisions and choices to find out your truth in the first step. You know, is this you? you got to make a choice in the second step. You know, is God everything or God's nothing? I talk about that choice. I talk about the third step decision, the third step requirement. I talk about these inventories we got to write. I talk about the fifth step. I talk about six and seven. I talk about the list. I talk about amends. Pay the money back. Go to these employers. Go to these people. Go to your family. Right? I remember one time I was doing that with a guy. He stops and he goes, Mark, I just, I want to not drink. <laughs> I said, I, I understand that. I talk about the disciplines of 10 or 11. See, you transmit what you have. You cannot transmit what you don't. And the way you work with somebody is crucial. Remember that, by the way. Those of you who sponsor people. See, I, I only know to do what was done with me by Don in particular is where it all really started. Then I'd talk about the disciplines of 10, 11 with him. And then the 12th. See? Go over some of the stuff in the chapter working with others where the new guy sees that he is responsible, just like Don said to me. You're responsible for your sobriety, not me. Don did, did something right away with me that I believe is crucial. He said, my goal is to get you independent of me as quick as possible and hooked up to God. Right? See, and, and, and I know why he did that. Because sponsors drink, they die, they move, Right? Get connected to God. Get connected to the program. Get connected to the book. See? It's wonderful if you have all those things on top of that. But he would never allow any degree of dependency at all whatsoever to be placed on him. And it was always about back into the book. So I do the same thing when when I'm approached by, by someone new. And then I say to them, why don't you take two, three days? You pray about that. Then if you want to do this, because now you see we can answer the question, are you in length? Right? Now they can answer that question. The guys who call me back are never the guys I want to call me back. <laughs> Those, right? Now they can answer that question. The guys who call me back are never the guys I want to call me back. Those of you laughing know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> I get the intellectual pseudos, the gum chewing, just, ugh. <laughs> the chronic relapsers, four favorite words are I know and yes, but, you know, and knows the book better than I do. And, and you know, you just, uh, it's like, oh, no, then, but see, if, if, if they say yes, then, you know, then I have to. Spiritual consent. I work with spiritual consent. See? If someone asks me to work with them, then they have given me spiritual consent to bring them the truth. And I do that, you know. I had, uh, I had my years of being a zealot and trying to put the big book, uh, in places it doesn't belong. And, uh, 
uh, having to clean some of that up, but today I work off spiritual consent. If I don't have consent to come into your life and present some truth to you, then I won't do that. See? Took me a while to understand that, but I get that agreement just like Don did with me. You know, on this date, I know what willing to go and look looks like. And then you start the process, see? But we go back and, and you, you look at this, this idea when I think about the, the unmanageability of my life, the spirituality, untreated alcoholism. Uh, God, my earliest memories, and all that stuff, by the way, as we all know, is at a gut level, isn't it? Trouble in personal relationships, can't control my emotional nature, restless, irritable, discontent, walk into a room like this and, and, and feeling separate from, see, not connected to. That those voices talking to you, you know, well, what if somebody talks to me? Well, what if they don't? You know? I mean, don't you, don't you love that voice? You know, you, I'll tell you the one I love. It's the voice that says, Mark, let's go do this. And then I go do it. It doesn't turn out well. And the same voice turns around and says, you dumbass, I told you we shouldn't have done that. <laughs> See, now that's just not right. You know what I'm saying? See, I had to get familiar with the voices, and trust me, there's more than one. I joke about that, but, you know, every morning, and you, this happened to every one of you this morning, you got up and imagine there's a little table there. And imagine there's eight chairs. And I'll give you a little assignment. I want you to try and identify the predominant eight voices, because they're all different parts of your ego that you think define who you are. And they all started talking to you. This morning, my eyes aren't even awake. And the caffeine voice, nicotine voice said, get it going, baby. <laughs> now, I didn't bring my workout clothes, so the jock said, you've gained 30 pounds in a day. I know you have. We're going to look like shit. I, I haven't even gotten out of the bed to the bathroom yet. See? Spiritual guy says, well, you slept past what time we normally get up to do our disciplines. Whoa. See, and then, then you use the bathroom, you get the cabin. See, somebody better chair that meeting. See? So you sit down and you open the big book upon awakening. Say, guys, take a chill pill. The spiritual Mr. AA is going to chair this one. Right? So, you know, they're having the, you know, the boy, he's the work, the work. What about work? Hush. I'm cheering. See, but I have fun with myself with that. But see, it's the reason you're all laughing is you got your own little chick going on here, don't you? You better wake up to this. By the way, this is where all your inventory comes from. All these little stage characters. That's the word the big book uses. That's where all your inventory comes from, right? My my main ones right now would probably be you got of course you got this Mr. AA spiritual guy. You know. He's got a whole set of needs, values, and belief systems. I mean, one of the reasons he's comfortable here is he pretty well figures most of you are in agreement with him, and that's a wonderful thing. See? That's not true some places he goes, you know. And uh, so he's here. Then I, I've always had this, like, potential mystic-to-be guy, you know. St. John of the Cross and be a monk, and I probably miss my calling and, you know, all that kind of. Let's go meditate for three hours and vibrate for a while and, you know. <laughs> he, he's in there. 
He just had me rebuy Sermon on the Mount. He thinks thinks there was something we might have missed in the 19 times we've read it. You know, you. I, I definitely have this jock. You know, I I, uh, I work out five six times a week, and you know, he uh, uh, you know he he gets to working on me. You know, um, I uh, I own my own business now, so we got this present owner guy. You know. Um, I got a girlfriend, so you got this boyfriend voice, you know, and you, and I, I've always had a Rambo, you know, he's, trust me, Rambo's there, you know, <laughs> and, and uh, uh, I'm a writer, so that's another one, you know, and they, but do you see what happens within five minutes upon awakening, you know, no wonder the book says, upon awakening, <laughs> right, old Bill Wilson had the same crap going on we do, you know. Oh, what do you think about this, Dr. Bob? Do you, do you, do you, no, no, stop, you know. I mean, thank God for meditation to save my life. I could actually listen to one voice at a time, you know. But uh, so anyhow, that journey, you know, journey through the steps. Don takes me through the steps, and I had a revolutionary experience, just like the book talked about. Had a lot of amends and was moving through the amends process and in hindsight, was doing some stuff with uh, 10, 11, the prayer, but I don't have any recall of doing much with meditation my first nine, nine and a half years sober. Then Don moved away, become a world trustee. Joe moved to California, and then I experienced that phenomenon called reconstruction of the ego, in which you take a valid spiritual experience, in which you know God to the point of weeping, and now you're left with the memory of it. See? And somewhere between my about nine and a half years sober, now it took about three years. My experience today is if everything's not under that umbrella of God, it ultimately leaves. And the house was gone and she was gone and the career was gone. And I couldn't work and I'm reduced to sitting in an apartment. And that's it. I can't, I got taken to a place I couldn't even go to meetings. Now that was a little bit, about a little bit more than untreated alcoholism. But untreated alcoholism was a lot of it. With some unfinished amends, I needed to have been doing far more work with inventory. I certainly needed, in hindsight, to have been working with meditation so that I lose my identification with my mind and the chatter of a thousand monkeys, right? So through a series of events, because, uh, see, I couldn't drink. See, if God don't want you drinking, you're not drinking. But there were other options I felt were available to me. Because, see, I don't think you're any different than me. Death does not scare me. Life is what scares me and you. If you don't believe me, look at how you drink. See, I thought nothing to drink in a quart of vodka and getting in a big vehicle and driving down freeways. Right? In a blackout. See, I'm not afraid of death. You know? But life... See, how do I do life? See, I don't know how I did what I did today and the world wants me to do it tomorrow. You follow me? See, so it's, so it's life. And so through a series of events, I wind up in, in this uh, psych hospital in Houston, Texas. Need to be there. And I also, in hindsight, I really had an experience with the third step because I'm, at that time, I'm between my ninth and tenth year. I had a bunch of experience with the book. I've got some sober time. I had rebuilt my life because when I sobered up in 1982, I had brain damage, kidney damage, liver damage, everything I owned fit in a duffel bag. 
And I had built up some things in the material world and that's all gone. And when I, when I talk about I really had a third step, that's when my experience abundantly confirmed drunk or sober. My attempts to run my life on my will had me in a nut house. <laughs> sober. I quit in that nut house. I really took the third step. And the implications of that word, you know, God, I offer myself to thee and build with me and you do with me as you will. I absolutely said that and meant that and I live this to this day. Where I live and who's in my life and what I do is absolutely none of my business. My deal's simple. Work with the disciplines of 10, 11, get thrust into wherever I get thrust into with 12, and God, that power behind that name, does all the rest for me. Determines where I live, allows me to make good decisions, all of those kinds of things. But that came through great, great suffering. See, I didn't wake up sober and decide to become an agent of self-will. <laughs> that isn't how it works. See, the ego takes the best of you. I don't care how long you're sober. See, Ralph touched on that today. My self-will can't eliminate my self-will. If it could, we'd all be doing so much better, right? See, we're not like a lot of other people. They can go buy, they can go buy some book and they can, they can read a set of instructions and follow them and their life changes, right? For you and I, that's more like moral and philosophical convictions, none of which I could live up to. I can't do that. That hasn't, that hasn't ever worked for me. So I left that place and, uh, I really did a lot of work for two years with the first nine steps and I began to develop a daily meditation life and begin to have tremendous experiences through the result of my di working with the disciplines of the 10th and 11th step. Because what I did is, is based on where I wound up, I really looked at the 10th and 11th step in the big book, and I got honest with myself about what I'd been unwilling to do. I had never consistently had a daily life of meditation, and yet the book is very clear to me. It is essential for me to stay, do it for fit spiritual condition. And I could no longer lie to myself about what I had not been doing. And I saw there was all kinds of practices with the 10th step I hadn't been doing. And I saw I had unfinished amends. And I said, you know what I'm going to do? Because this is the way I'm wired. I'm going to do this, and I'm not missing a beat for a minimum of one year. I'm going to follow and do everything and said. And, of course, my life, guess what, took off like a rocket. Gee, what a surprise, right? I should have had a V8. Uh, <laughs> you know. Amazing stuff started to happen. Amazing stuff around the God issue, uh, Native American stuff. I still laugh about that. I was in Kerrville, Texas, and I'd made a circle out of stones, and I was doing sweats, and I needed that. That became part of my journey because I'd lost my connection with Mother Earth. My, my neighbor thought I was a, a satanic wa worshiper because I, <laughs> I, you know, had the red road, and I'd go sit out there and meditate. Unbeknownst to me, she's telling everyone I'm worshiping Satan, you know, it's... <clears throat> Funny how that works, but then I uh, did a bunch of work with uh, Christian mysticism and Buddhism, and you know, I do a lot of stuff in the 11 step along with, never instead of, along with. You see, I was given the 12 steps. That became the pathway to have this experience so that I could have conscious contact, tap into this power. And then along the way, you know, you get the freedom to move and do so much more in the 11th step, stuff with the Order of St. Benedict and 
uh, fascinating stuff. Uh, go talk and, and take uh, groups on, uh, or classes on, on meditation. Fun stuff. You know, Don used to say it in, in, I finally understood it one day. He said, you know, you're best served if you have a sponsor who likes to go look for two-headed camels. Well, now what the hell does that mean? You know, you know, you, well, I know exactly what he meant. He, he meant in, in, in a world in, in, that we live in, in a God that we cannot comprehend, stay open-minded and get excited. That's what he was saying, you know. I mean, uh, Thomas Merton says, as those who think they know from the beginning will in fact never come to know anything. Every day I'm reborn into a world that I have no experience with. See, I know that. Today when I got up, some of you that I met yesterday, what I didn't have any experience with was interacting with you now. Now, do you get that? What an incredible thing to wake up to, see? A lot of these practices, many other things begin to get revealed, all ultimately through the step work. That I live in a world of impermanence and that everything is on loan to me and nothing is mine. All our inventory comes from mine. My house, my car, my wife. Pay attention to language. You know, you, you meet a couple, they're married. I, I, this is, it's stuff people just to sleep to, you know, well, well, here's my wife. No name, no, you know. Inventory is fun because when you're dealing with a guy and there's been a divorce, he will never use her name. She's my ex-wife. Because if they gave it a name, that would make it a human being, you know, instead of a piece of property, like my car. You, you understand? See, it seems like subtle stuff. It's not subtle stuff. Mine. All your inventory comes from mine. Get your sense of self out here. See, I don't get my sense of self out there. You do these steps. There's an incredible line right before you get to the bottom of page 62. It says, with God's help, I can be entirely rid of self. Think about the implications of that. Do you believe that? See, you can't believe some of the book and not all of the book. So is that possible? See, and the more devoid of self you are, then the sense of self comes from the inside out, and then the, you don't need things from the world. You're there to give back to the world, to love people as they are. You see? You don't need something else to complete you. See? see? Today you can add to my life, but you cannot take from me. What a wonderful way to live. See? You could add to, but you cannot take from me. See? Keep working these steps over and over. Get rid of self. Entirely get rid of self. Submit to four through nine again. Right? Talk a little bit with you about how I rework the steps. That experience going to the nut house caught my attention. <laughs> So if there's any of you in here that have a little time, been a while since you haven't done any step work, pay attention. So once a year, I resubmit to the first nine steps. It varies how that comes about. Sometimes someone asks me to work with them, etc. Sometimes I just pick a day and I sit down. 
So now I'm going to go back through this process again. And now what am I up against? Now what I'm up against is all that I think I know and all my memory of all my past experiences, right? So if I'm going to start a set of spiritual exercises with an answer, nothing new can happen. So a lot of you here are familiar with the set-aside prayer. So every time back through, I write another one. And as I begin to go back through and read, prayerfully read, I've learned how to read with a heightened sense of consciousness. See, because this book, this big book, is not about transmitting knowledge. It is truly about transmitting a course of action to awaken your consciousness to have a revolutionary spiritual experience. So I take awakened consciousness into that, and I begin to read and go back to the doctor's opinion. Look at the obsession, pages 23 to 43. How is it today? How is it today? And then I go back, and then I remember. And then I really come up against current, current stuff. How is it today, Mark, at work with all you and all your employees? How is that? 28 employees. How is it in the rooms? How is it in your home group? How is it with the men you sponsor? How is it with the woman in your life? How is it with your pals? See, I don't have friends, by the way. I have a lot of pals, but I don't have friends. I got tired of writing inventory on friends. So a strange thing happened. There are certain words that my mind will create a script for, and one of them was friend. And what that translates to in my third column, I write a script of how friends are supposed to be and how they're supposed to treat me and blah, 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 blah. And you don't fit it. And now I have to waste all this paper writing inventory on you. I discovered the word pal creates no script. So I have no friends. I have a lot of pals. See, That's true. It's very true. But how is it in all those areas? How is it with my physical health? Can I manage this without God? And I keep working and I keep sitting with that till I get taken to the place where I must realize again that of myself I am nothing. Of myself I am nothing. See, in my 27th year without a drink of myself I am nothing. Without God I am lost. And you touch that experientially inside yourself. You see, you touch that and you feel that. You see, in the last year alone, based on your history, I should have been drunk 50 times in stressful situations and fear-based situations and people I love died and I see that I'm sitting here sober and I touch that again. I touch that love. I touch that power that I was asleep to. See, Touch that first step again. That's how you touch that when you've been sober for a while. Strips you of any degree of spiritual pride, you know, says, my God, this power is there and it loves me. It's been taking care of me, right? See, and then the second step, how do you approach it with time? You know, is there a God who can take me past here, past this set of belief systems? See, we're all here, every single one of us right now, right up to this moment, you have a set of belief systems that have brought you here. That you, by the way, that's how you operate your life. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but every action you take or do not take is based on the belief systems that you currently hold. You better wake up to what those are. It's easy to do. Is there more past here? Are there dimensions of joy and wonder and love and service that I know nothing about that God would take me to if I would be willing to submit to the process again? 
See, because I know what the process is. The process, one step at a time, is going to slowly destroy the current belief systems that I hold. My life is good today. See, the longer I'm sober, the harder the step work, but the easier and better my life gets. Why do you think I would say the harder the step work? Because the ego is just a lot craftier. See? You got this spiritual guy who wants to go out and help people. See? See, even my motives are kind. You get that? See? Ego still is operating. But boy, it's crafty. You better have some people around you. You know, down the road a little bit further to help you when you get all that spiritual, right? See? But is there more past here? See? Yes. Yes, I'm willing to go for that. See? And you make that choice again. Is God's everything or is nothing? Faced with a self-imposed crisis. Wow. Yeah. Self-imposed crisis. What? My current unmanageability. My current self-will that I didn't even see was going on. There's tension here and there's tension here. And this frightens me, you see. Then you come up to that third step. Am I convinced my life, sober, managed by me, cannot and will not work? You sit with that. You begin to see examples that it cannot and will not work. Examples of things you set in motion when you fell asleep dreaming you're awake. See, I got rid of the idea that because my eyes are open, I'm awake. See, a lot of people going through life on autopilot. Making, quote, choices. See? Wake up, right? And you wake up and you look at that. Oh, that beautiful, that incredible third step decision. Big book describes, takes a page and a half to describe what it looks like when you and I run the show. If my range would only stay put and it, it lays it out so masterfully. And then it, I, I love that, those lines in there. I suffer from the delusion that I will be happy and satisfied if I manage well. And what manage well translates to for me is, I think I know what it looks like. I think I know what I need to be okay. And you too. Right? See? And you sit with that again. You know? You come up to that incredible decision, you know, at the bottom of 62. Uh, we were talking about this the other, the other day, you know, you hear this. Gentleman was talking about he was doing a, a thing at a detox and, and, uh, there's a lot of people, if you use the word, I'm a recovered alcoholic, they have a reaction to that. And, uh, this false humility, I'll always be recovering. You don't have to believe me. Look in the book. As far as I can tell, it's only mentioned twice. Recovered's mentioned many, many times. See? My experience, people who say they're always recovering don't want to take responsibility for their life. Because I'm going to tie this into this third step decision. I'm going to read you the definitions of a decision I made with the God of my experience. See? I take complete responsibility for my life today. I am recovered from what? A hopeless state of mind and body. Now, I may lie to you, but it's not because of whiskey, because I'm a liar. <laughs> you see? But you get to that, that third step decision. So this is the, this is the how and why of it. We had to quit playing God. See, you can't know God. You can't tap into the power of God if I'm playing God. 
it, me playing God, does not work. So next I'm going to decide that hereafter in this drama life, God's going to be my director. He's the principal. I am his agent. Let me give you the definition of agent. A person empowered to act for another. Why don't we talk about this more? See? Spearheads, an agent of and for God. See, how do I know what you need? I do this work. I become like a hollow bone. I sit in my room. I pray and meditate to come down here to be an agent for God, to speak to you about what it is God knows you need that I don't have a clue of. And I claim that. Now, this, this false humility, oh, I'll always be recovering. You know, I hope you get something out of what I share. Who in the hell wants that? See? See, at this, if you're new, if you're new, get a dictionary, look this up. See? This program's about power. It's the power of God running through you. At a cellular level, turn your ass inside out. 220 volts, stand your goddamn hair on a tin. See? That's what the steps are about. That's what we ought to be talking about. That's what we ought to be bringing to new people. You get to be an agent of God. You get to speak for God. Be used by God. Whoa! You know? <laughs> but see, if, if you embrace that, then you've got to be willing to do what it takes to let that happen through you. Quit walking around with this, I'd be recovering and be sick, you know? Bullshit! You know? Actor, a player on the stage, one who acts a doer. I'm reading to you my part in the deal versus God's. Director, a person who directs or controls, supervises, manage. Principal, God's the principal, right? on the agent. First in rank, authority, importance, a person who employs another to act as his agent. Children, plural of child, a son or daughter, a descendant. Good God, touch your divinity. See, touch what you are. Touch what you can do, how you can be used. The employer, a person hires one or more persons to work for wages or salary. And then the book talks about a position. It is a person's mental attitude toward or opinion on a subject. That is the decision I made in the third step. To have that kind of relationship, see? With that kind of a God, that kind of a powerful God, see? 20 foot tall, and I got my, my, got my arm around his calf, and ain't nothing touching Mark Houston except what God wants to touch Mark Houston, so bring the shit on. <laughs> you get that? I am safe and protected. Bring it on, see? Someone said, well, you, you go somewhere and they do in the middle of the road and your character gets assassinated, does that bother you? No! No, it doesn't, you know? What an incredible position I got to take. Hopeless, babbling elky, and at the third step I made a decision and I moved forward with a course of action to tap into this kind of a relationship and I take this into everything I do. 
See, I tell you why I know this works. When I sobered up, I had brain damage, kidney damage, liver damage, everything I own is in a duffel bag. I'm in my 27th year without taking a drink of vodka, which is impossible for me. When I got sober, I would have had to be cremated because six people wouldn't give a shit to carry me if I died. Today, if I died and people could get there, there would be a lot of people there. I've got to travel all over this world talking about God in these steps. I've got to publish a book. I've got to own my own company. Pals and relationships beyond belief in my life. See? What an incredible, incredible thing that I have gotten as a result of a set of precise, specific, clear-cut directions in my life. To be able to love, to love at a level that hurts. You know, about a year, year and a half after Don died, I was in uh, driving up to my house, and I I really miss some of my teachers, because they've all died. And I was... Just crying that pain. Because see, when you love, when you can love like this, there's pain like this. God, and I was so grateful that I was in so much pain. Because it showed me how much I loved. And to see that, then that voice said, Don's always inside of you, my friend. I know where that voice was coming from. God, if I hadn't got sober, if I hadn't worked the steps, I could never have had those kinds of experiences, you know. To to people who've influenced your life that are no longer around, to to think about them and weep. My God, what a deal, see. To be awake enough when you get on an elevator to stand in the back and be the last one out. What a deal. To be awake enough to go into a Starbucks in a busy day and see this person's harried. And just look him in the eye and say, how's your day going? To be that awake. see. To not worry about what's coming back at you anymore, but give, 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 give. Then it's that strange paradoxical thing is that the more you give, you have more coming back that you even know what to do with. Disciplines of the 10th and 11th step. you know, Every day. All day. My God, what a, what an incredible thing! You see, you we get to we get to go through this, we get to take this experience, we get to take men and women who come into here. And by the way, all the Al-Anon women I've listened to, I your work out of the Big Book is phenomenal. It's fabulous. Thank God for Al-Anon people. Every Alki in here, well, the only people would be in there be Al-Anon because all the Alkis would be dead. See, I I don't ever forget that, you know. So, but my God, thank God for a big book, you know. Thank God for for men and women who love me more than they cared about how I felt about what they said to me. See, and I'm that way today. Some people say, well, you're direct. You're, yes, I am. Because I love Alkies, you know. Maybe God sent me here to talk to the one, two, three, four, ten of you that are headed toward a drink and you don't even know you are and the few that could drink Maybe I came here to talk to you. And if so, I'll go to any lengths to do that. 
to, you know, to stop that from happening, to, to tell you if you're in this room, I don't care how long you're around, there's more. Take an ocean to thimble, you get a thimble full of water. How much of this deal you want? See? You can take a dump truck to the ocean. How much of God do you want? See, there's no limit to that. That's what's incredible. But I gotta be willing to do a few things. And I gotta act on trust, you know, and I gotta act on faith. But, uh, that's all I got. God bless you. I love you. Quite a message Mr. Mark Houston has. Uh, hopefully we'll all meet him at the big meeting in the sky one day and uh, be able to tell him we really enjoyed uh, his message, his experience, strength, and hope. If that was something you enjoyed, and who would not have enjoyed that, please pause your device, whatever you're listening on, and take time to share it with a friend or family member that may be just what they need today. Now, on to a little bit of a listener feedback. Jason writes in. Oh, and so Jason was writing me. So Jason uh, has attended several um, w- workshops in the past and, uh, workshops. Uh, so, so I've been a, to, I've been to a ton of conferences, right? Uh, but I don't think I've ever actually been to a workshop. And, uh, he referred me to somebody who actually leads workshops and got me interested in it. And so I asked him some questions about, uh, workshops and he says, Hey, John, there's something special about going away for a few days with some alcoholics who are excited about sharing recovery. I almost always have someone ask me to sponsor them when I get back. The energy is infectious. Much love, John. Hopefully we can share an experience together one day. I'll be sure to let you know next time one comes up in my area. And I have never been to Texas. I'd love to, to, uh, I sure love uh, Texas recovery. So I'm up for a road trip. Take care, Jason. P.S. I'll be celebrating five years next week. God willing, your podcast has been a weekly bright spot for me. I work in sales and have lots of quote windshield time. Yes. He says, your podcast has helped me get connected and, uh, and have a good conscious throughout the day. Uh, I look forward to finding time every week to enjoy your conversations. I get to learn and love and share this experience through your show. Thank you. I sure do appreciate what you do. Regards, Jason. Well, Jason, congratulations on your five years. Thank you for all the kind words. I know we've gone back and forth on several emails throughout the years and, uh, you know, and so I am just interested if anybody knows of some workshops going on that they think are really, really special. I don't know. Maybe me and Jason can come meet you. Just email me at John J O H N at silverspeak.com. I'd appreciate knowing that, especially it's here in my area, the North Texas area. Um, I guess I could just ask around to some of my friends to figure this out, but hey, I've got the mic in front of me, so I'll do it that way. Thanks, Jason. I appreciate uh, you, uh, and your uh, service and your uh, feedback regarding those workshops. 
Emily writes in. She says, hi, my name is Emily. I live in the Columbus, Ohio area. I am six days sober. Oh, wow, Emily. That's great. My friend referred me to your podcast, and I'm hoping they make this new, uh, and I'm hoping the, oh, the episodes make this new change a bit, bit easier. Lord knows it has been pure hell. I understand, Emily. Oh, do we understand? I will be 48 this Sunday. I'm pretty sure it will be my first sober birthday since I was 15. I'm going through a divorce. It was a 10-year thing. So so I'm also learning how to be a coin dependent. Oh, uh, I think she's saying uh, co-dependent or not. Co oh co-independent. I get it. Uh, anyway, I will continue to listen daily. I have plenty of episodes to catch up on. Thank you, Emily. Well, good luck in your venture and your quest there, Emily. Thanks for writing in. Andrew writes in, and Andrew says, Thanks, John, for spearheading this great outlet for recovery. I've gone back to the beginning of your podcast, and I'm on episode number 19. These podcasts help me to keep sober and keep AA in my busy life. These podcasts are truly my meetings in between meetings that I make it to. Your speakers give me constant perspective on a wide range of issues and life on life's terms. Thanks, man, for all you do. You're making a difference in my life and countless others. I am sure later, Andrew. Well, later to you, Andrew, and thank you so much for writing in and Oh, man, Uh, it's always good to hear from you guys out there. And once again, if anybody wants to write in, I'm a John, J-O-H-N, at SoberSpeak.com. Jen writes in and she says, I am a huge, in big capital letters, fan of your podcast. I am five months sober. Good for you, Jen. I am working the steps of my sponsor and they help me in so many ways. I'm very grateful. Thank you, Jen. I God bless you, Jen, and congrats on the five months. Brittany writes in and she says, hi, John. My name is Brittany T, and I'm an alcoholic from a small town about an hour north of Philly, PA. Yes, Brittany, I've been up in that area many times. Beautiful area. She says, today, by the grace of God and the program of alcoholics, I am drink-free for 1,000 days. Good for you, 1,000. I came into the rooms of AA three days sober in January of 2020. Oh, that's right in the thick of the uh, pandemic. Um, I remember my first meeting like it was yesterday. I walked in this terrified, broken mess of a woman to a big book beginners meeting. Um, Four has always been my lucky number. And that day in my first AA meeting, I came upon a sign that I was exactly there when I, uh, uh, that uh, and it was exactly there where, where I was supposed to be. I'm sorry, I probably messed that up. She says, page, f- so in other words, they were reading page 44, chapter four of the big book, We Agnostics. And let me back up here a little bit, uh, Brittany, I believe. Yeah, so a one, two, three, oh, wait a sec, one, two, three. 
three, four. Oh, no, you're five here. Oh, I'm so sorry. I thought it was four, but it's not. Anyway, she says, from, from my first meeting, I was hooked. Doing nine meetings a week, I got sponsored in my first month, and she is still my sponsor today. By March of 2020, the pandemic shut down. Oh, so you came in right before the pandemic. My apologies. Uh, the pandemic shut down everything. Boy, I was just as terrified then as when I walked into my first meeting. But because I worked the program, made my connections, listened, and did everything everyone told me to, so here I am today still sober. I say all the time that if I can't get and stay sober through a global pandemic, oh, if I can get and stay sober through a global pandemic, I can stay sober through anything. That's right. That's right. Sober Speak has been a wonderful addition to my recovery. I tell everyone I cross paths with about your podcast. I listen every day on my long drives to and from work. I can relate to every single guest you have on. Thank you so much for your continued service. And if I make my way to Frisco one day, I will have to look you up. Well, like we said on the beginning of the uh, episode today, I know it's uh, not, uh, gosh, you're in Philly, but none or outside of Philly. But we are having a Sober Speak Live on December 2nd. So anyway, uh, so she says, P.S. I love Tom Petty, too. <laughs> I get it. I, and she says, in. You don't know how it feels was my bar theme song. <laughs> you don't know how it feels to be me. Boom, boom, boom. Yes, a great song. Uh, if that song was playing, uh, everyone knew I was posted up on a stool there somewhere. Big smiley face. Take care for now. Please continue to share the experience, strength, and hope. Uh, praying hands and heart emoji. Well, thank you so much for writing in, and I'm going to be singing in my song in my head all day long now. You don't know how it feels to be me. Boom, boom, boom. But thank you so much. Jesse writes in, and Jesse says, Hi, John. So I'm a Canadian transplant into. Kansas, you know what? I, so here's why I'm pausing. I'm thinking of that song called Jesse's Girl, but I'm thinking, really, no, you don't want to sing two songs in a row a Tom Petty song and then Jesse's Girl. Uh, so I'm going to skip it. But this is a Jesse female. Uh, and so I think that would not quite right, but nonetheless, she says, so I am a Canadian transplant into Kansas and that happened my first year of sobriety. I went ahead and did everything you are not supposed to do in your first year. Well, welcome to the club, Jesse. I was one of those really sick recovery people where my body went through terrible, terrible things as it learned to function without alcohol. I almost lost my job and used my recovery as job security. Then I quit my job, which was long-term employment in the middle management arena, and moved to another country, leaving my children and my family behind. I got married on Friday the 13th and moved in with my new husband and mother-in-law. Did I mention this was in the middle of a global pandemic? 
So needless to say that just as my one year rolled upon me sober, um, I had also uh, stopped going to meetings because uh, my head was in the sand and I didn't realize there were Zoom ones. She says, I started to feel restless, irritable, and discontent. Can you imagine that? Yep, I can. She says, I rolled up to an AA hall after scouring the internet for meeting times, bawling my eyes out, and the door was locked. There was, a lift, there was a list of Zoom meetings on the door, and I sat in my car in the parking lot, fumbling with my phone, and got on to a meeting. I was about a half hour late, and it was a big book meeting. I just sat there on mute, crying like a baby. There was another woman, and she sent me a private message asking for my phone number. As soon as the meeting was over, she called me. She talked to me, a complete stranger, for about one and a half hours. Hours. She helped me get set up with the whole Zoom schedule, but more importantly, the Monday n- night women's meeting. I am no different than any other alcoholic, and I was not enthusiastic about talking with women. I mean, how could I manipulate them or weasel my way into getting someone to help me the way I wanted help? Keep in mind that for me, the first three months I was going to meetings and then I went to almost 200 meetings. So I knew the quote, have to have a gender sponsor. I didn't even really have to uh, have to have a same gender sponsor, um, but I didn't even really have a sponsor. So anyway... That week, I went to my first women's meeting on Zoom. They were pretty cool, so I went to another one. Within a month, I was hooked. The chair was giving up the seat, and I volunteered before I knew what was happening. These women were amazing. They were all so different. They didn't preach. They just loved. I'm starting to get verklempt. <laughs> I understand that. She says, then all of a sudden the meetings went into went to in-person and I gave up my Zoom chair. I got me a sponsor from the women's group and we started working the steps. I started cheering, chairing the in-person meetings and wouldn't you know it, the promises started to come true with big capital letters and a bunch of exclamation points. So along with uh, fear of economic security being gone and practicing the seventh tradition in my life, a year later when my green card and social security number arrived, I got a job in my field. The commute is an hour each way and I work very long hours. When I was hired, I explained that I need at least one day a week to leave early and make AA meetings. The trade-off, is, as I said, is I'll never call in hungover. <laughs> a, deal, a deal was struck. Oh, I love it. She says, so while the weekends and one day during the week were left open for a meeting, I still felt like I needed more. I have an app that has all the literature as well as links to relevant AA material, including the grapevine. I was listening to audio books to help pass the time on my one hour each way commute. And I had a spark of a thought that maybe there was a podcast out there somewhere that could fill the spot and keep me in the program. 
There was a link on the Grapevine website for a podcast, so I thought, hey, I can listen to that that now on my drive. Now, I'm not saying that it's a bad podcast. It's maybe just not my speed. I looked through the Google app using the keyword sober, and your podcast came up. I started listening from episode number one, and I finished episode number 209 this morning. Oh my goodness. She says, scolding myself. Uh, don't cry, Jesse. You'll, I guess this is why, she, why she's listening to the podcast. So don't cry, Jesse. You will mess up your make, makeup. <laughs> and then barking out in laughter. I have to say, I laughed as much uh, or more than you did laugh out loud. I rarely listen to my audio book and I only usually uh, when I meditate, uh, and that's only usually when I meditate because thinking my brain goes to sleep and I stick with you and your, I like to call, quote, meetings, unquote. It has helped me in so many ways that I couldn't even begin to count. The key points are one, get to, get to have a meeting wherever and whenever I want to. Two, I get to learn new things from new people. The same old people at the same old meetings doesn't happen. And three, I get to flex my emotions through the gamut. (laughs) And four, when I hear great stuff, I write it down and make it my own or get my sponsees to give it a listen to specific stuff. I cannot begin to express uh, how grateful I am to you and what you are doing with Sober Speak. This morning, I finally pulled the pin and decided to hit you up on social media. Oh, you must have joined the, uh, uh, I'm assuming the Facebook group or Instagram. I don't know. By the way, if you want to join us on social media, go to the Facebook application and look for Sober Speak Secret Group and ask for admission. Or you can follow us on Instagram at, at Sober Speak, all one word. And all the lovely posts that Miss Cassandra puts out there. Anyway, uh, because if there are other people out there that are listening and have great sobriety, well, I better do what they're doing. <laughs> Good for you, Jesse. She says, I hope you have an amazing day and know that you have helped another alcoholic today. And for that, I am thankful. Jesse M. Sober Day, January 9th of 2019. Well, Jesse M., thank you so much for all that feedback. And guess what? You have helped me as well. And I'm sure many others who are listening right now. Thank you so much. All right. So this is going to be one of our longer episodes we've had in a long time. Last but not least, James writes in, he says, hi, John. I just listened to your tape from Norm A from Monrovia. I believe it was recorded in May of 1982 in San Diego. I heard Norm A speak at the same time on May 15th, 1982 in Oxnard, California. It was a regular regular speaking meeting at the Oxnard Into Action Group, which met at St. Anthony's Church 
on C Street in Oxnard. I was 21 years old, a newcomer at the time, and I had about 90 days. It was a significant day for me because earlier that day, I had attended my cousin's wedding. After the wedding, a bunch of guys and girls were going out partying, and I was invited to go with some of my old cronies. I had a decision to make. Of course, at 21 years old, my hormones were were raging and you know how girls uh, and you know how girls at weddings can be laugh out loud. <laughs> yeah yeah i do know how girls at weddings can be <laughs> and also guys but i get the idea <laughs> He says, but I made a decision to go to the meeting that night right after rather than go chasing tail. <laughs> chasing tail. Okay, folks, this is not a politically correct <laughs> uh, uh, podcast. <laughs> and hey, I'm just reading. You know, every once in a while, I think about how when I'm in an AA meeting and it is so not politically correct. In fact, there is a, uh, there is a, um, an app that my kids use nowadays <laughs> every once in a while. And it's called be real. And I'm sure if you're younger out there, you know what this is, but like, we'll just be doing whatever we're doing. And all of a sudden they'll go, Hey dad, I'm sorry. I got to take a picture of you. It's like, be real. And they'll take a picture of me and, or, or themselves or whatever the case may be. And the, the idea behind be real is it's not the, kind of like staged Instagram and Facebook pictures, right? It's like, what's happening right now? Where am I actually in this moment and time? And I think about that in AA meetings all the time, because I'm thinking, we're kind of like uh, the original Be Real app here, you know, people just say what's on their mind. And sometimes it's not, uh, you know, I mean, we don't want to offend anybody, you know, but sometimes it's a little... Uh, I don't know. You wouldn't want to put it on the nightly news. I'll put it that way. But anyway, all right, let me go back here. But you know what I've thought about with that be real thing, though? I've thought, well, first of all, if I'm in an AA meeting and I'm on that be real app, I can't really, well, I guess theoretically I could take a picture of myself somehow, some way, but you can't take pictures of other people. And then I thought, well, what if people are like, you know, using the restroom or getting out of the shower or whatever. I don't know how real I want them to be with me, but all right. Uh, now I got to get on. Uh, I got to, I got to go find my place. Uh, uh, he, oh, so he says, <laughs> I made a decision to go to the meeting that night rather than go chasing, <laughs> chasing tail. As it turned out, and this is really the point of the whole story. The speaker was Norm A., Norm Alfie. Uh, it's been over 40 years now, and I can still uh, say out loud, uh, I can still say out of the hundreds or perhaps thousands of speakers I've heard over the years, Norm A. has probably the most has had the most impact on my life. Our drinking careers had a lot of similarities, although mine was quite a bit shorter uh, as I was given the gift to get clean and sober at a fairly young age. Although I definitely spent time in the grinder. It's my understanding that a week or so after May 15th, 1982, Norm passed away. I remember that 
I remember that when I met him that one time he appeared to be healthy uh, and height and weight proportional. I think he was out jogging and passed away of a heart attack near the end of May 1982. He was 58 years old. Man, he did a lot of good in 58 years uh, and a lot of wreckage at the same time. He said, I did not know him personally and only met him and heard him that one time. The St. Anthony's meeting meeting recorded their speakers and sold the speakers tape. I purchased the cassette tape and I had it for years and I'd listened to it dozens of times. I eventually loaned it to someone and never got it back. I've been through that. He says, with the, uh, you know... It's interesting. I wish that I had kept, I had like a three, three boxes full, not boxes, uh, uh, cassette tape cases full of all these cassette tapes. And I wish I'd kept them, but you know, but even if I had them today, I still don't know where I would play them. I'm sure someone could digitize them or something like that, but I eventually threw them away. But yeah, I used to use to listen to those cassette tapes, all cassette tapes all the time. Anyway, uh, Jamie goes on here. He says, uh, with the advent of the internet and the ability to download YouTube and podcasts, I have heard several versions of Norm's pitch, which were recorded at various times in his life over a span, uh, uh, over a span of a number of years. As you're aware, as a circuit speaker, his pitch is pretty similar each time. But I think the night of May 15th, 1982 was the best version I'd ever heard. He was extremely polished and he didn't miss a lick. It was an Academy Award winning performance. And I know the program isn't about performing, but his pitch that night was spot on. And for me personally, the fact that he passed away such a short time later made made what he said in his testimony all the more poignant. Hey, good word there, poignant. Uh, this is the first time I've ever come across your podcast. Well, I'm glad you found us, Jamie. Uh, and I want to thank you for taking the time to put this information together. I'm not sure where you are located. Well, Mr. Jamie, I am located in the Dallas, Texas area, and I'm still in, uh, I'm still in Ventura County, California. I'm sure somewhere there is a copy of Norm's pitch from May 15th, 1982, somewhere in Ventura County. I'll see what I can do to try to find you a copy and possibly get it to you. My email is such, keep up the good work, but for the grace of God and friends like you, I could have missed it all, Jamie I. Oh, I think that's a I think that's a quote from Norm A, if, if I'm not. But for the grace of God and friends like you, I could have missed it all. All right, Jamie, thank you so much. So the the person before was Jesse. I was getting that confused. It was Jesse and Jamie, but uh, and they both spelled their names with uh, eyes. Uh, no, 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 Jamie. Anyway, hey, listen, everybody. Thanks for <laughs> thanks for bearing with me. That is one Moss episode of Sober Speak in the books. I take this one week at a time. I hope to be back next week. Uh, God may uh, keep coming back. It works if you work it. May God bless you and keep you until then. Love you guys. Have a good one.